So Jim Bob, thank you very much for uh, your devotions today. Also, thanks to Tom Tomlinson for the video that he put together. I do think it's a setup, though, because I saw about eight pictures of Ernie working, and I was here yesterday, and I didn't see that much work going on from Ernie. So uh, I think maybe they staged that. No, I'm just teasing. It was a great time. I want to let you know about another fundraiser that's coming around the corner in about a month and a half. We're calling it the 5K to Raise 5K. And we are doing a race, we're sponsoring a race the first Saturday in May, and we are going to try to raise $5,000. All the money raised yesterday, all the money raised on May 5th will help our junior high and senior high students go on their mission trips this summer. Two excellent trips, one to Cincinnati, Ohio, one to Joplin, Missouri. So I hope that you will give and give very generously. You have an insert in your bulletin, and I don't know a lot of the details about it, but there's an awesome concert coming a week from Thursday, the 29th, in my hometown of Champaign at the Virginia Theater. Steve Green, Twyla Paris, Wayne Watson, Michael Card. The Christian Classic Tour looks great. If you're interested, check that out. And does anybody know what is three weeks from today? Resurrection Sunday. And for whatever reason, every year at FCC, our biggest attendance Sunday by a long shot is Resurrection Sunday, Easter. And that's the case at almost every church that I know of. And what that tells me is that you need to be inviting your friends and your family and your coworkers and your neighbors. There was a, a survey that I saw this week when reading a, a, a sermon that said 65% of unchurched people in America would go to your church would they would check it out if you invited them. So just swallow that for a moment. Just think about that for a moment. And think about the people that are in your life that aren't plugged in somewhere and maybe consider inviting them to join you. And Easter Sunday would be a great Sunday to do that. All right, let's dive in. We have... Uh, uh, been going through different heroes of the faith. We're doing things a little differently. Last year, we did 13, 14-week sermon series, and later this year, we're actually going to dive into a 31-week all-church campaign called The Story. But for now, we're going through one-month series. In January, we looked at Joseph. February, we looked at Moses. And this month, we're spending time looking at Joshua. So grab your Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 5. And I want to start this morning by asking you a question. What is the most difficult commandment for you to keep? What's the most challenging command of Scripture for you to obey? My Sunday school class is wrapping up a study through the Ten Commandments. Today, we were looking at commandment number 10, do not covet. And as I think of the commandments, do not covet. No other gods before me. Do not steal. Do not murder. Um, honor your father and mother. What's the most difficult commandment for you? How about this one? From John chapter 14, Jesus, the very, very last week of his life, gathers his disciples together. They know things are about to change. He knows things are about to change. And he looks them in the eye and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. We don't like to talk about fear. Fear is not something that typically excites us, but if we were being honest, we're afraid more than we'd like to admit it. How many of us get excited about going to the dentist? You can already hear that drill starting to go in your ear. What are we afraid of? It's going to be good when it's all over with, right? But 
we're afraid. Some of us, as we get ready to to fill up our, our cars and our vans and our trucks and our SUVs, I was in a town this week where gas hit 409. People are talking about $5 a gallon gas. Anyone excited about that? Some of us drive to Bloomington every day, Decatur every day. I know people that go to Springfield and Champaign several times a week. $5 a gallon gas? Are you kidding me? My daughter turned 16 on Friday. Happy birthday, Jordan. Love you very much. Um, yeah, as a, uh, as a parent, I've got to tell you, the thought of that beautiful blonde young lady behind the wheel all by herself has scared me at times. Um, fear is a part of our lives. And if you said yes, you are afraid at times. If you said yes, you have fear in your life at times. You're not alone. Some of the great heroes of the Bible, including the person that we're studying this month, wrestled with this issue of fear, wrestled with where they go. Well, I want to start this morning in Joshua chapter 5. We get the scripture up on the screen. Joshua chapter 5. Last week we were in chapter 1. What was the command the Lord gave to Joshua? Not once, not twice, but three times. What was it? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And after he told him that three times, a whole lot of uh, um, narrative takes place that we don't have time to study. We can't read the narrative in chapter 2, where God uses a very interesting lady to fulfill his purpose. We can't spend time in chapter 3 or chapter 4 or chapter 5. But today we're going to look at the Battle of Jericho. And prior to the Battle of Jericho, we see this encounter that Joshua has. And here's what God's Word says, Joshua 5, beginning with verse 13. It says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him, with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? That's a good question. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Does that sound like any other scripture that we've studied this year? Anything else come to mind? Moses and the burning bush? Take off your, ground, take off your, your shoes, your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. This is a commissioning of sorts. This is a reminder for Joshua that you are part of a grand plan. You are my instrument for such a time as this. But even with this encounter, even with these words, I think Joshua still could very well have had fear driving his life. What was Joshua afraid of? I came up with four possible fear factors in the life of Joshua. And fear factor number one is this fear of following a legend. And that's exactly what Moses was. You remember last week, Deuteronomy 34, what words were written about Moses? There's never been a prophet like him. He, one of a kind. 
Incredible, incredible leader. If you spent time today and you went back and you read most of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you're going to find that the Israelites found themselves in trouble over and over and over again during the wilderness wanderings. And every time it was Moses that they looked to. Moses was their leader. Moses was literally the man. And now he is gone. Now he is dead. And that mantle of leadership has been passed to Joshua. And and that could have caused some fear. That could have caused some nervousness. Anybody know who Pete Myers was? That name ring a bell? Pete Myers was a professional basketball player. He played shooting guard. And he gained a lot of notoriety because when Michael Jordan retired for the first time, I think he actually ended up retiring like six or seven times, but the first time when we all kind of shed a tear that he left basketball, it was Pete Myers who had to fill his shoes. Nobody would ever heard of Pete Myers before he replaced Michael Jordan as shooting guard for the Chicago Bulls. And that's exactly what Joshua was facing. I think he also faced fear of an unconventional battle plan. I know many of you have been, you've been in the church a long time. You know Joshua chapter 6. Maybe you learned a little song in junior church growing up about Joshua and the battle of Jericho. And I think it's fair to say that the plan we're going to read about in just a moment was an unconventional battle plan. Well, just think how unconventional the book has been up till now. In chapter 2, who does the Lord use? What, what, what was the occupation of this female by the name of Rahab. Was she a high school math teacher? What did she do? Huh? She was a prostitute. God's using a prostitute to fulfill his purpose. And it's possible that Joshua looked at this and said, this isn't what I thought it was going to be like. This isn't the plan that I would have come up with. Number three, I think Joshua could have fear over previous failures. Reading through the Pentateuch, God's people failed a bunch. Guess what? Reading through the rest of the Old Testament, God's people are going to fail a bunch. You get into the book of Judges, it's failure after failure after failure after failure after failure. You start reading about all the kings, started out pretty good. Saul, you know, didn't end well, but David, Solomon, and then the kingdom splits. You got north, you got south, and there's more bad than good. There's more failure than success. And it's possible that Joshua was fixated, could be fixated, on previous failures. And then finally, I think it's fair to say that Joshua could have had fear of the unknown. Unsure of what were to lie ahead. What he was facing as he gets ready to lead God's people into this battle of all battles. Let's read together Joshua chapter 6. There's a lot of scripture here. I love when we read together God's word. So engage with me, please, as we read Joshua chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in, no one came out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Now, if I'm Joshua, I'm saying all I see is a heavily fortified city. What are you talking about? But that's the message that Joshua receives. The Lord continues, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. 
On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up every man straight in. That's the battle plan. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, Advance, march around the city, with the armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to camp. And spent the night there. You read that? That sounds more like marching band camp, doesn't it? Than a great battle plan, honestly. Joshua got up early the next morning. And the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. And they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. The city, all that is in it, are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Remember that verse next week. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 7. That's going to be an important verse, verse 18 next week. Otherwise, you'll make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. And when the trumpets sounded and the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. The walls came tumbling down. Every man charged straight in and they took the city. And they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. I've just got to tell you, there are some really brilliant people in our world today that that call themselves Christians that are saying that couldn't have happened. That's not possible. It's a myth. It's a legend. I'm just going to tell you, I stand before you today saying I believe it happened. I believe it is the greatness of God personified through this miracle. I believe it hook line and sinker. But that's not what I want to do today in in our remaining time together. I don't want to give you a scientific or a logical case why I think Jericho happened. I want to give you four lessons that I think we can learn from Joshua's plan for success as we live our lives in 2012. And see first and foremost that Joshua followed 
the commander-in-chief. That's the first thing we've got to grab a hold of. He followed the commander-in-chief. Beginning with last week's message in Joshua chapter 1, we see a leader who is locked in to following the Lord. When he heard, be strong and courageous. When he heard, do not be terrified. When he heard, do not be discouraged. He followed. He listened. It's a big, big um, area of study in our world today, this area of leadership. You can go to leadership seminars, whether you're a preacher or you're a pagan, and you can learn how to be a better leader. And I'm waiting for a seminar to crop up, how to be a great follower. Because, you know, the Bible talks a whole lot more about following than it does about leading. And I'm at my best as a leader when I'm following the Lord completely and wholeheartedly and unconditionally, and so are you. See, first and foremost, Joshua followed the commander-in-chief. Anybody here a fan of Indiana Jones? And, you know, if you don't like the movies or you think they're bad, don't, don't write me a note, okay? It's just an illustration that I'm using here. But I, I really like the Indiana Jones movies. The first one is probably my favorite, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You remember what the, the, the race was on between Indiana, the good guys, as my son would say, and the Nazis, they were the bad guys. They both wanted to get the Ark of the Covenant. Why did the Nazis want to get the Ark, do you remember? Because they believed that if they had the Ark, that it was a magic treasure that would allow them to win battle after battle after battle after battle. And I think many Christ followers today, we'd never acknowledge it, but that's kind of how we view faith. Do a little church, sing a little song, give a little money, take some bread and juice, maybe help out at the pancake breakfast, and then God's going to give me what I want. Life's going to play out like I want it to play out. Let me ask you this morning, who, who are you following? What path are you on? Are you following your commander-in-chief? Are you following the Lord? your God. Number one, Joshua followed the commander-in-chief. Secondly, Joshua was fixated on the battle plan. He was fixated on the battle plan. Now, I've got to just tell you, I've read a lot of history of World War II. I've read a lot of history of the Civil War. I'm kind of a history, I guess I would say, buff in many ways. I like to read about history. I like to watch the History Channel, and I've never heard of a battle plan quite like this. Whether it's a great battle of the Bulge or the Battle of Gettysburg or whatever it may be, you don't see battle plans quite like this. Get the marching band, march around the city, blow your trumpets, shout to the Lord, and the walls will come tumbling down. I, I've never found another battle plan like that. But Joshua was fixated on the plan. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. Make sure these people are in front. Make sure these people are in the rear. Blow the trumpets. Don't say a word. And on day seven, get ready. It's going to be a lot of fun. And when I say shout, shout. Joshua was fixated on the battle plan. What are you fixated on? What are you fixated on? I'm always interested during the Olympics when they do the little documentary, little pieces between the events. You know, you got this gal figure skating, you got this guy speed skating, you got professional people that really aren't amateur athletes winning gold medals in hockey, and all, all that different stuff. And you see these documentaries, and they talk about this girl that from the age of four, she was on ice. And all she did from 4 to 17 was skate, 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 skate. She was fixated on the prize, fixated on getting that medal at some point. What are you fixated on? What's driving you? 
What wakes you up in the morning? What allows you to go to sleep at night? What plan are you fixated on for you and your family and your future? Number three, Joshua focused on hearing and obeying. And we don't like that word obey. We love the whole grace part of the faith. We, we love to sing about God's grace, and God's grace is incredible. See this morning that Joshua was very much focused on hearing what the Lord said and doing exactly what he was asked to do. He said, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until when? Until I tell you so. Trust in me. Follow me. Focus on my word. Psalm 46.10, one of the great short verses of Scripture in the Bible. Many of you have it memorized. If you don't, you can memorize it right now. Start to live it. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And Jim was talking about our prayer room, and it's really not a secret location. He's just not great at getting you in that direction. It's in the east hallway of the basement by the fellowship hall, but maybe you need to take 15 minutes this week or 30 minutes this week and visit our prayer room or, or just go for a walk in the beauty of God's creation. We've got 80-degree weather in March. And just be still and say, God, what's next? God, where do you want me to go? God, what's your plan for my life? Are you focused? Are you focused on what you should be focused on? Or do you find yourself wandering to the right and wandering to the left? Number four, and finally this morning, see that Joshua finished every aspect of his commission. We focus on, I'm going to call it the marching band. And I, I'm really not trying to be irreligious when I say that, but we focus on the, the marching around the city. But that was only part of, of the plan. That was only part of the command. And the second part of the command, it's pretty gruesome. Pretty awful. I mean, killing, was it 50% of the city? Is that what they were supposed to do? Kill 50% of the people? Kill the bad animals, save the good animals. What was the plan? Wipe it all out. Don't mess with the devoted things. Don't allow yourself to be infected. I want you to be pure. I want you to be holy. I want you to be mine. Joshua finished every aspect of the commission. And this might be more of a first service thing than a second service thing. As I look out, there's many more young people in second service than, than first. But I think I need to ask you, no matter how old you are, are you putting yourself in a position to finish strong? That's the fourth question. Are you putting yourself in a position to finish strong? I know for many of you, you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for a very long time. And I think with anything, if we're not careful, if we don't watch ourselves, we can fall into the trap of complacency. A little bit later this summer, we're going to study uh, King David. And King David was a man after God's own heart. I mean, you read about David, he, he's on fire for the Lord. And he fell about as hard as anybody in the Bible, right? I mean, he became an adulterer. He became a deceiver. He became a murderer. And it didn't start with lust. It didn't start with envy and desire. You know what it started with? Complacency. In the springtime, 
when the kings go off to war, David stayed in Jerusalem. And I will tell you this, many of us, we struggle with lust. Many of us, we struggle with greed and envy. But almost every one of us, we're susceptible to spiritual complacency. Are you in position to finish strong, to stay strong spiritually? Chapter 6 concludes with this verse about Joshua. Joshua 6.27 says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. And that's the testimony, my friends, of a powerful leader. Because he followed the commander-in-chief. He was fixated on the plan. He focused on hearing and obeying. And he finished every aspect of the commission. Last week, I I gave you Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We're going to look at it again today. We're going to look at it again next week. Maybe this is a life verse for you right now in your life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, in every way you live, acknowledge Him, and the Lord will make your path straight. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for today and for your word. And what an awesome account of your greatness your supernatural nature, the destruction of this city, this unconventional battle plan. But help us this morning not just to realize your greatness, but to focus also on your goodness. You are good all the time. And so this morning as we move toward our time of commitment, I'm just reminded the difference your son Jesus has made in my life and can make in all of our lives. Help us to never take for granted that blessing we call grace. We love you so much. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. It's been really neat. We've been studying the exact same thing in junior church. and. And one of the key verses we looked at this morning was Psalm 18.2. simply says, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is my rock. And so we pray that that's your prayer, that the Lord is your rock, that he is your stronghold, and that you trust in him. If you've not made that decision, Greg is up front, I'll be up front here. We offer that decision to you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Won't you stand together? Let's sing together. To Jesus.